Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, October 7th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Taylor Schwink is working from the Schwink Studios in the foothills of Connecticut. Sarah Abbott is working from the Sarah Abbott Studios uh, in Bristol, Connecticut. I'm Buster Only working from my hotel in Queens as I get ready for tonight's uh, playoff between the New York Mets and the San Diego Padres. At the top of the show, uh, of each show, I use the mantra, and today will be better than yesterday. I started concluding columns with that in 2010 after my little sister, Amelia Lincoln, was diagnosed with leukemia. Amelia's doing great. Now, I started using it again at the top of this podcast after Sarah Langs reached out in the summer of 2021 with the news that she was diagnosed with ALS because that is what you hope for each day for her. Uh, that today will be better than yesterday. Well, Sarah announced on Twitter yesterday that she has ALS and got back an avalanche of support. She will join us today on the podcast as she prepares for her work at the start of the playoffs. She's part of our group that's doing that uh, the playoffs uh, at City Field tonight, Padres and Mets. Uh, before we have that conversation, we'll start with some cleanup from the regular season. The Minnesota Twins, Chicago White Sox, uh, on Wednesday and during that broadcast, uh, Treasure Island Baseball Network, Corey Probus talked about how one of the twins won the American League batting title. Luisa Rise, two plate appearances, two walks. He has scored twice. 315 batting average. He will win the American League batting crown. Yep. And that, of course, prevented Aaron Judge from winning the triple crown. Aaron Judge led the American League in home runs and RBI, but Arise with the highest batting average. He's the batting title winner in the American League. In the National League, it's Jeff McNeil. Here's what that sounded like on WCBS. It's very unlikely Freddie now will catch Jeff McNeil, so McNeil can sit on the bench and watch away this last game as he will be the second Met to ever win the batting title. He'll be the first Met to ever lead the majors in batting average, so congratulations to Jeff. Royals manager Mike Matheny and pitching coach Cal Eldred were fired by the Royals on Wednesday night. Here is Executive Vice President General Manager J.J. Piccolo talking about that decision. They're decisions we never take lightly. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of thought. Um, there's a lot of questions that are being asked. Uh, there's evaluations that need to take place on where we are as a team overall. And then also where we are uh, with individual players and no progress in the major league career. You know, based on those evaluations, we thought the time was right uh, to make that change. As difficult as it was, uh, we respect those two men immensely. Perry Manassian, the Angels general manager, said the Shohei Otani $30 million deal that was negotiated last week is step one in the team's effort to uh, attempt to keep him his quote was, hopefully there's more steps down the road. We love the player, and nothing would make me more happy than bringing him back for a long time. Well, the playoffs, as we mentioned, kick off today. And the first game will be the Rays at the Cleveland Guardians. Shane Bieber will be on the mound, and he spoke with reporters on Thursday. Um, I'm excited to go out there. It's going to be an entirely different feel um, as opposed to 2020. Um, just to feed off the energy of the Cleveland crowd and, and my teammates, uh, most importantly, is something I'm excited to, to share with them. 
The Toronto Blue Jays will play host to the Seattle Mariners in their series. Here's Alec Manoa who takes the ball in game one. This is what it's all about right here, right? Um, you know, you train all offseason, you train all year. Uh, you go through the ups and the downs. And, um, you know, this, this is what it's all for, the bright lights, postseason baseball, you know. So this is what you dream of as a kid. And, um, you know, for me, I'm just, just going to go out there and have some fun and play, play some baseball. Uh, you know, I love playing with these guys. And uh, we got a great team, and we enjoy playing with each other. And that's all we got to do, just go play some baseball. The Phillies take on the Cardinals in St. Louis. In theory, the Phillies' advantage over the Cardinals is in starting pitching. Here's Zach Wheeler, who gets the ball in game one for Philadelphia. You know, pitching against them twice, they could watch video of me pitching against anybody this season. So, um, you know, I think you just try to stay within yourself, be yourself out there, and um, don't try to change too much. Yeah, you might have to change some things here and there, but... Um, for the most part, you're just trying to attack the hitters and stay ahead and get quick outs. In game one of the Mets and Padres series, you'll have you Darvish in the mound for San Diego and Max Scherzer on the mound for the Mets. Here's Max on Thursday. You know, you're just anxious to get out there. You're anxious to go out there and compete. Uh, you know, everything's online. Win or go home. Um, you know, that's the attitude you have to have. You have to win. I mean, you get in the postseason, every day feels like a must-win game. Um, whether it's an elimination game or not, you, you always show up to a park like, we got to win today. So that, that's the beauty of the postseason. You know, this is what uh, you play the game for, is to be in these type of moments. And, uh, you know, you, you, look, you always look back. You know, for me, I look back at my career and been in these moments and uh, love that. I've always had the opportunity to pitch in these in these games, and uh, you know I'm just thankful I have an opp- another opportunity to, to pitch in a postseason game. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, it is a full-on playoff baseball Friday, but it's also a football Friday. We've got a couple offerings here over at ESPN Podcast that you can dip your toe into if you are so inclined. We've got the Dominique Foxworth Show, the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, Kyle Brandt's basement uh, on the college football side. We've got the College Game Day Podcast as well as Stanford Steve and the Bear to get your best bets in before the weekend. Check all those out. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. 
This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, we start with this. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Foster. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Look, uh, today, you know, we're going to have a conversation about your tweet yesterday, and I wanted to bring our friend Carl Ravitch in with us. Ravi, you there? I'm sitting right here, probably four floors and two rooms removed from where you are, but right here. Very nice. Uh, yeah, Ravi and I, we talked to dinner last night. Sarah, we wanted to be here together with you. Uh, as we had this conversation, uh, you know, you had reached out uh, a day ahead, I know, to Carl and, and to me about your tweet yesterday. Um, I, what uh, it looked like from your tweet uh, that followed up later in the day with your news, uh, that the response to your tweet really moved you. It did, as does this moment. I am not going to cry on this podcast, but uh, Ravi, I didn't know you'd be there. And uh, thank you guys for engineering this moment. I was blown away by the responses, the outpouring, text, emails, everything from so many people near and dear to me and people, you know, I didn't even realize I'd had an impact on, and I'm just so grateful for the love. And I truly don't think I deserve it, but I'm so, so grateful to be part of this baseball community. And I think it just shows how wonderful baseball is, not just the sport, but the people involved. The fact that people rally into a moment like this so thank you to everyone who reached out yesterday today in any moment ravi what uh, what jumped out of you about the response last yesterday to sarah's tweet well um is it okay if i cry is that part of is that part of the deal is sarah dictating who can cry and who cannot <laughs> where are we on that <laughs> anyone can cry <laughs> Um, no, the truth is, uh, you know, I think I had I had told Sarah, who, by the way, her new nickname for me is Miss Locked In. That's how she signed off last night on a text exchange we had, Miss Locked In. So um, I told Miss Locked In that, you know, she's she's going to be, uh, I'm sure, uh, overwhelmed by the number of people who are already aware of this because of the very nature of this community. It's uh, it is a very tight knit community. You know, Buster, the series we're about to do and all the connections uh, between Mets and and Padres and current Mets with now current Mets and former national teammates that are now on opposite sides. The, the point is baseball is that way. People move around in our sport. Um, as long as they're connected to it, they move to different platforms, different entities. Sarah's obviously been to a number of them. She was with us and now with MLB.com and on the television network, et cetera, that she was going to be very surprised. And, and again, as I, as I preface all of this, Sarah drives this boat. This is, she's Meryl Steubing. She's the captain of this thing. We're, we're on, we're on for the ride. We're going to, we're going to love on her. We're going to support her. We're going to do whatever, whatever we can at some point we are going to probably move into a position where we, you know, we, we hear her and then we kind of, um, for the better betterment of Sarah, ignore some of the things she says, and and that's that's <laughs> what we're going to do. She, she's pretty defiant in her current uh, state of what I want for me and what I want from everybody else. But it's look, it, it is it is a wonderful thing to see how people how people came out. I think one of the other parts of Sarah, you know, there, there's a lot of depth here. This is 
this is more than a person who is only involved with baseball. She, she's, she's very, very funny. And, um, I shared that story, Sarah, with Buster and our baseball crew last night about when we went up to Tim Kirchner's hall of fame ceremony and, and only you and I were in the van that was taking us back. And all of a sudden I had a bee crawl down the back of my shirt and I said, this is going to be really embarrassing, but I got to take my shirt off in front of you. This is awful, I'm sorry, uh, but there's a bee. I got to get rid of it. And then I did. So I was there kind of without a shirt in the middle of a parking lot of uh, the Onasaga Hotel with Sarah Langs. And it was really uncomfortable. Um, but she giggled her entire way through it. We both laughed about it. And she's got a, a great sense of humor about this, which I, I know is going to serve all of us very well as we move forward. Yes, yeah, Sarah, yesterday after your tweet, I got a, a bunch of texts from some of the folks that you connected with in North Mount Herman and people around baseball. And they're like, you know, tell me about her and, and what, uh, you know, what do you hear? And, and I, you know, as always, since I first met you, I, I talked about, you know, incredibly hard worker, uh, unbelievably passionate. I always have that mental image of you when we, uh, we were working the 2016 World Series. I think you slept an hour over the course of that World Series and you were taking a nap in the seats at Wrigley Field as you were getting ready for like a seven o'clock sports center. But the cool thing about you and the reason why, you know, you touched everyone from, uh, you know, my own two kids to, you know, the, the folks at North of Mount Hermon is your just passion for what you do. I've never asked you this. What is it about baseball that you really love? You know, first of all, again, trying not to cry here. Thank you both so much. I'm still processing everything that you both said, but I I really think a lot of it is the constancy, the fact that baseball is always there. You know, growing up the whole summer, there's so much baseball. There's so much more baseball than any other sport. And I think it was kind of there as a companion. And I think I've always enjoyed how much depth there is to it. The intricacies, so much to learn. Learning as a kid, there are pitch types. There's so much, you know, drama and so much strategy, all of these things. And there's always something else to learn. So I think that's a lot of it. And for me, it's also family. I knew as a child that my grandfather loved baseball. I knew that my parents do love baseball. And being able to share that really resonates. And there isn't a day that I don't think of my grandmother, a huge San Francisco Giants fan, and what baseball meant to her, especially in the final 10 years of her life when the Giants were really, really good. And I think that the fact that baseball is able to forge those kinds of connections is a really big part of it as well. But I also think that I don't have a full answer to this question, that it's almost like it's pulled me in and I'm still trying to figure out exactly why. But I know that it's here. It's here for me. It's here for all of us and that it's so captivating. All right. I'm going to speak for Carl and I. I'm just telling you, you have a huge family. You know, you have a huge family and we're feeling all that today. All right. Uh, with that in mind, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is five. So I think 
we need to remember what Juan Soto did in the postseason in 2019. Very important heading into this Mets Padres series. He had five home runs, 14 RBI. He slugged 554. Those five home runs were the most in a single postseason by a player before turning 22. And we have to say 22, even though he's 20 for most of the series, uh, the postseason, excuse me, because he turned 21 on the day of Game 3 of the World Series. I love birthdays. So it was very exciting. But five home runs. By the way, this is a player who is not yet 24. His five career postseason home runs are tied for the second most by any player in that series. So Francisco Lindor has five career postseason home runs. Manny Machado has six. So even though Juan Soto is 23, as always, he is the young veteran in the clubhouse in this series. Number two. Number two is five. So speaking of, of course, his former teammate on the mound in game one, Max Scherzer has five career 10 strikeout games in the postseason. That is tied with Cliff Lee, Randy Johnson, and Bob Gibson for the third most in postseason history. Only Justin Berlander with seven, and Clayton Kershaw with six have more. And he has 160 career postseason strikeouts, which is sixth on the list, led by Clayton Kershaw with 207, then Justin Berlander with 205. Obviously, all of those totals will be added to this postseason, and we'll see whether Max can get Soto, which is always such a fun thing to watch now that they are on different teams. Number one. Number one is, we'll go with 926. So that was the winning percentage in the postseason last year when a team out-homered its opponent. So teams went 25-2 and when out-homering their opponents. And this is part of a trend. In 2020, it was 35-5. and 2019, 27-6. And 2018, 19-4. All of those are win percentages well above 800. The idea is everyone talks about small ball in the playoffs, but ultimately hitting a home run, and then making sure you don't allow one has really been the recipe. And if you look at teams, this really favors teams like the Yankees and the Braves in the postseason, who were the first and third in the majors in percentage of runs via the homer in the regular season. All right, I got some follow-ups for you. Uh, one uh, is, uh, for me, a big key in this series is the fact that the Mets don't really have an anti-Juan Soto antidote. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of relievers, and let's face it, if we get into the eighth inning and they have a lead, you probably see Buck Walter try to go right from the starter, right to Edwin Diaz, and even though Soto's got some history and good history against Diaz, um, there's no doubt which way Buck would go. But if they need a reliever, fifth, sixth, seventh inning to go against Soto, they don't really have that guy. They really don't. And to be fair, not many teams do. I know that, you know, his start to San Diego career has not been what people expected. We were hyping up that trade and the impact. 
But this is why they got him. They didn't get him for the days in August and September. They got him for October 7th. This is the guy who's hit two 460-plus foot homers at City Fields. And I just think we have not seen a player take the spotlight in the postseason the way that Juan Soto did in 2019, introducing himself to the national stage. I think he's going to, you know, really capitalize on that opportunity again. So to the point about the relievers, there's no antidote to that in any bullpen, but I definitely agree the Mets certainly do not have that kind of guy beyond going to Diaz at any point. So you know the way front offices and staffs these days, they they uh, plot out potential matchups they're looking for. I get the feeling somewhere behind Buck Walter's uh, office, there's a bunch of analysts saying, boy, we really hope we get a Hader versus Alvarez matchup potentially. I'm fascinated by that because after watching Alvarez in Atlanta over the weekend, Sarah, I'm like, that guy is built for the big stage. We've talked about Soto introducing himself to the world in October. It feels like that's something you might be looking for, a rookie who is clearly not afraid. Absolutely. You know, part of when you brought Ravi on, I'm sitting here thinking, well, I was answering a text from him, and then I came on to do the podcast. I didn't press send yet. But he was asking me about 20-year-olds and rookies who have impacted a postseason run with Alvarez in mind. And you think of guys like Miggy, Andrew Jones in 1996, and of course Soto in 2019. He absolutely has the ability, the raw power, to be a guy like that and take on that stage. And as you mentioned, no fear. I mean, even in Mets sort of lore, I think of Michael Conforto in 2015. Didn't have a great postseason overall. Did a multi-homer game in the World Series because he's a rookie. He has nothing to lose, and he had that kind of defining moment. We'll see if Alvarez gets that chance, but it would be really fun to see. And after that smashing home run for his first career hit, I think people see that it really is possible. All right, a new format this year. You've got the wild card round. You get the four top seeds sitting it out, getting some uh, days of rest, and lining up their rotations. Uh, I'm going to ask you the question: Which of these eight teams, the wild card round, do you think have the best chance to advance to the World Series? Uh, I actually, I think it's the Guardians. Uh, I like their path. I, you know, the Yankees are scrambling with their bullpen. I could see the Guardians uh, shocking people in the first and second round. That would be my team among the eight. What about for you? I like that. I really want the Guardians to, you know, show up in full force in this postseason. I worry about them with the out home rings that I talked yeah. about before. But if Jose Ramirez can have a great October, then they can do it because they can limit the home runs. I was, you know, I'm going back and forth in my head. I think talent-wise, I would say the Cardinals, but I do not like their path because they're going to have to face the Braves if they win, and I don't like them in that matchup. So you may have convinced me, but, you know, I would love the answer to be the Blue Jays or the Mariners. Both of those teams are so much fun. I'm so bummed they, they're they playing in this first round because I want to see both of them in longer series. I think they're both too flawed to make it there. 
but it would be so much fun to see Vladdy or Julio in that in that situation. All right, Sarah. Well, thanks for doing this, uh, and we're going to have a blast this weekend. I absolutely can't wait, and thank you so much, and thank you to Ravi. I know he's not hearing right now, but he's getting a text in a second, so hell no. All aboard. It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravitch. Carl Ravitch, the Ravi Train, of course, here in Queens uh, as we get ready for the start of the Padres and Mets series. But, uh, Carl, thanks for joining us at the top of the show with Sarah Langs. She does not like being the center of attention for sure, but, wow, uh, <laughs> she's a mountain of people supporting her now, and she can be hearing from all those people probably every day. But uh, yeah. tell us about our friend Sarah. Well, I mean, Sarah – Sarah sort of has a unique way to worm into people's hearts just by being Sarah, regardless of the diagnosis. And uh, she then gets into your head because she's so good at what she does. And her her family's history with their love of baseball and the San Francisco connections that she has and her grandmother, et cetera, et cetera. So she's just a very relatable, wonderful human being and got her, you know, at least got her national start, you know, with ESPN and was a researcher on baseball tonight and i remember a conversation she and i had about an opportunity that she had to leave espn and she loved the people she loved the show uh, but it was an opportunity that that i think she really wanted and, and settled on moving to you know major league baseball and subsequently you know the, the the flower blooms and we see her now in in so many different platforms and on television uh, she's one of the very, very fortunate people that got a chance and continues to, to do what she loves. That's that's an amazing part of a life is that if you can if you can do things that you're impassioned by and make a career out of it, um, you know you win. And on that on that level, she wins. And and because of Sarah, you know we are all more educated, smarter. And look at the game, you know, through the lens of Sarah Langs a lot of times, which is a really influential position to be in. So she's she's great. I, I like Sarah. I love Sarah. She's like a little sister, uh, a daughter. Um, you know, I'm I'm devastated by this, but this is something many of those of us who are close with Sarah have known for for quite some time. And I think I saw a tweet from Mandy Bell about the the first phone call. I certainly, you know, like many many meaningful, most impactful moments in your own life, you remember exactly where you were when. And I, I remember that, that phone call very vividly and remember hanging up and, and crying for a significant period of time. My wife was there. and uh, But like Sarah, she puts spins on things, and you've got to follow her lead. This is about, this is about Sarah, and we follow Sarah in, in this regard. Yep. I, um, you know, she just absolutely the first time I met her just jumps at you with her joy, uh, her absolute passion for what she does. I, you know, can talk about this now. I, I reached out to a number of baseball teams like you need to hire this person. Like you need to come <laughs> at this person. I don't you know, I didn't know what Sarah wanted. I But I'm like, she needs she has a special talent here. Uh, you know, you and I both went to, to uh, boarding school in, you know, in New England. And I brought her up to my boarding school, North Mount Herman, three, four times, you know, to go and speak to classes, to go and speak to, you know, teenage girls. I wanted uh, them to hear her and hear her passion and, and uh, talk about her work. I must say, 
uh, if you had told me, you know, the back in 1992 that I would ever meet anyone with more passion for baseball than Tim Kirchin or our friend Peter Gammons, I would have laughed in your face. But Sarah's that person. And, and that's yeah. what I, I love. You know, every time she's been on the podcast, you hear that passion. No, there's no doubt. She's, she's on that level with regards to her, uh, her obsession. And look, you know, full disclosure, uh, after she tweeted out her news yesterday, uh, I called her late last night and just kind of discussed how it, how it was received, how it went, how she's feeling about it, and, and very appropriate of Sarah and typical of Sarah, um, deflected away from it. It, it was fine. Yeah. It, you know, it, it was what it was, but right away went into, <laughs> I want you to know, not that there was ever any question or any doubt or, or, or any suspicion that something was going to be different, but it was uh, hundred. Let's see, ten thousand percent locked in. By the way, don't let today make you think otherwise. I am more locked in than in a very long time with that weight off. So yesterday was a, a cathartic day for her, and it's it's like any other professional. Let's focus on the job. That's really what I want to do, and that's why I think it's important for everybody who wants to be very supportive and care and all those things. Yes, you should do those, but let's follow Sarah's lead. Let's, let's be guided by her. This is about Sarah and she is so fired up for the postseason and very excited to be working certainly on, on a Mets series against the Padres, given her connection to the Mets. I completely agree with you to the point that, you know, I discipline myself from, you know, reaching out to her and, or sending her notes or texts, you know, how you doing and all that. Cause I know she just wants to talk about baseball. She just wants to do what she loves to do, which is to, to focus on her work. And so I, I I'm with you, let's follow her lead and uh, let's deflect to, uh, to the series that uh, Sarah and you and I will be involved in. And that is the Mets and the Padres and, and Carl, it's been fun, you know, our, our preparation the last few days, just to talk about this incredible series of stars and interconnectivity, which is really underrated. <laughs> yeah, there, there is six degrees of separation here with Kevin Bacon, except it's 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 Buck Showalter and Manny Machado, it's Max Scherzer and Juan Soto, it's it's Bob Melvin and Buck Showalter, it's Bob Melvin and Mark Canna and Chris Bassett. Um, be, because these teams have been reconstructed uh, the last year, particularly, but over the last couple of years, you have a lot of people who were one other time in their baseball career connected. So that that's one of the many, many subplots in, as you said, a series that's that's going to be defined by the, you know, the brightest stars in the sky. It is Scherzer, DeGrom, Lindor, Alonzo, Soto, Machado, and the pitchers of San Diego. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's the nature of baseball to go into these things with a, with a particular thought in mind and because it's baseball, you're you're driven down a road you hadn't anticipated going down. But certainly as the headliner, it is about the stars in this series. Yeah. And, and so along those lines, I mean, it starts the stars start with the uh, the starters within the Mets rotation. Uh, Max Scherzer starting in game one. They haven't told us who's starting in game two. I strongly suspect that it's related to whether they win or lose in game one. If they win, then I think they go with Chris Bass in game two because they want to, you know, potentially hold out uh, Jacob DeGrom for the start of the division series, which would be against the Dodgers. And if they lose game one, then I think Jacob DeGrom starts. That, to me, seems to be the right play. I like the poker in it. What about you? Yeah, I mean, look, there, there's 
that's one of the options is to use Scherzer in game one and then Bassett in game two. And if you need DeGrom in game three, another option is to use DeGrom in game two and end it. If you win game one. And by the way, most of these conversations are surrounded by an outcome that is almost in, in a way predictable. Like, no, if they win game one, you use DeGrom in game two and he wins game two. We just saw a series in which Scherzer, DeGrom, and Bassett all lost So, uh, and were hit around pretty hard. So it's not as if it, there is a right answer here. You could start Jacob DeGrom in game one if the blister appears healed. He threw a pretty intense bullpen session yesterday and seemed to come out of it okay. So, look, it's the nature of the beast. Uh, it's a, it's a result-driven sport. It's a result-driven life. This manager of the Mets has been involved with so many of these things over the years, including some at, at Old Shea Stadium, certainly Zach Britton. So, yes, Buster, uh, it seems to make sense. And if it fails, then you sit there and say, well, that didn't make sense. It, it's a no-win. This is where I think the most important part of these conversations, from my perspective, is not to assume that there's some guesswork going on by the Mets of their front office to believe that the decisions are rooted in things that you and me will never know. And Buck and Zach Britton have alluded to that. uh, And certainly Buck has with regards to the decision, you know, to not use Britton in that playoff game. As he said, I believe recently I'll write about it someday. And he, he told us this in Atlanta. Like when I asked the question, why did you start, Bassett on Friday, uh, Jacob on Friday, and not Chris Bassett. What was the value? You, you you needed to win one of the three games. What difference did it make when you started him? And you heard the answer. Hey, Carl, uh, I, I, I know things, and uh, there are things that, I, that I'm privy to that you're not. And it kind of ends the conversation at that point. Like, okay, well, are you going to share that? No, I'm not. So I think so many of these decisions, and I'm sure you would agree, are rooted in information that the that the organization has that the media who speculate and guess and first guess don't have. So for me, uh, a, a couple of points of strategy in this series, which would be really interesting. Uh, as you know, Juan Soto, since the trade deadline, you and I were on the show, the trade deadline show, uh, when when we got word that that deal went down and we all you know lauded the Padres, and rightfully so, for being aggressive and for making that deal. And for a lot of his time with the Padres, Juan Soto has struggled. But in talking with Padres people, they really feel like his at-bats in the last week have been better. Carl, I, I tend to think of Soto as being a big stage guy. I think he loves moments like this. He's certainly going to be familiar with the pitching staff of the Mets. He has good career numbers against a lot of the guys that he might face in this series, including the closer, Edwin Diaz. And here's the other part about that, Carl. It doesn't look like the Mets, when you look at the construction of their bullpen, because they they lack a you know shutdown left-hander, they don't really have the, the Juan Soto antidote, so to speak. What do you make of that? And how do the Mets attack yeah, look, Juan Soto? I I think I think how they deal with the late game and it's interesting. If Soto and Machado were coming up in the eighth inning, and you're ahead, Diaz is in the game. Um, yep. you know he's he he's at a Craig Kimbrel like strikeout rate. It's just an historically great season. Prior to that, or depending on the situation on the scoreboard. Yeah, you're right. Joely Rodriguez got a changeup. Peterson's got a slider. And then if you're able to get Soto out, 
the three batter rule, you then have to face Machado, and he destroys righties. He's got an 855 OPS against lefties, he's, and he against righties. He's got 12 homers uh, against lefties, I should say, tied fifth with Brandon Drury. So, look, th- this part of lineup construction, this is what uh, Seidler and Preller and Melvin are all aware of. It's what Buck is aware of. Seth Lugo probably is is the guy that, that goes there. Uh, because he's got the great curveball, the right-hander with a great curveball. Curve so I think that's probably the answer, and I think if the situation dictates that is an absolute conversation. We're going to. I've seen articles written about the Mets' inability to to land a lefty, a specialist. But but look, the rules the rules eliminate you know the loogie, the the one the guy that can get one lefty out. They eliminate that. But there have been articles written about the Mets didn't get a left-handed reliever at the bullpen at the uh, trade deadline. The Mets didn't go out and trade for Wilson Contreras to bolster the offense at the deadline. Uh, you know, a whole bunch of things that have been written. And I don't know, do you lose sight of the fact they won 101 games? They finished tied with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, <laughs> people harp on the last three series against Atlanta. What about the Nationals and the Cubs series? They, look, you, 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 can, you can 2020 this thing and look in the rearview mirror all you want. The deal is now you have the guys that you you wanted. You have Scherzer, you have DeGrom, you have Diaz, you have Lindor, you have Alonzo. You know, you, you made these moves for Canna. It's unfortunate that Marte's hurt, but let's go. Let's 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 throw the dice out on the on the uh, table and see where we land. On the Padres side, it's very interesting. Josh Hader in his first weeks with the Padres just got lit up, just as he did his last week with the Brewers. And I know where the Padres settled was look, this is someone who needs rest. Uh, he is much better when he's limited to one inning. He's much better when he's not pitching on consecutive days. And so you go into the series, you feel great about Josh Hader, especially in game one. But, Carl, you know how the postseason goes. <laughs> like, we're levers. The, the phone rings a lot. And there are going to be situations when he's going to have to go on back-to-back days. And one potential matchup that I'm just fascinated by and I'm just imagining is Josh Hader uh, coming into the game to close out a game, and let's say it's at the bottom of the, the Mets lineup, and Buck Showalter rolls out Francisco Alvarez, who just looks like he's a big homer waiting to happen. <laughs> Two for 14. Um, look, he could be Juan Soto in his first postseason. He could be Xander Bogarts. He could be go all the way back to Miguel Cabrera. He, look, he's a threat. There's no doubt about it. Um, the question is going to be how he handles the moment. If that moment presents itself, if he's, if he's in the lineup, uh, how it presents itself against a guy like you Darvish. He, he obviously has shown a penchant for swinging at the first pitch. Not that there's anything wrong with that. If the first pitch is, is a good pitch, but yes, that, that is, that is one of the things to look forward to. You know, to me, Buster, these teams in a lot of ways mirror each other. Um, and in the Nick Martinez, you know, Suarez, Luis Garcia stuff with Morejon and Tim Hill, they they all can come in. The lefties can get lefties out, but they're not great against righties. You know, the splits are what they are. So, yes, that, that's one of the neat matchups. But this is going to be a fascinating watch. And, and you're right. Bob Melvin uses Josh Hader to win a game tonight. And you're up three to two tomorrow do you bring josh hader back even though as you said it's it's one inning does it have to be one day can he go again you know his arm slots kind of been all over the place a little bit 
Sometimes it's a little more effective when it's lower. The velocity is higher when it's up. I guess a million questions in in a city that has you know a, a million baseball fans for for this team, and they are rooting so hard in New York. Challenge is going to be trying to win in this environment for a San Diego team that has to come across the country and deal with city city fields. Yep, uh, and I think if you're in the Padres clubhouse, one of the things you're thinking about is let's get a lead and let's start to feel that great uh, Mets fan angst. Uh, in right, the ballpark, right. Yeah, right. You know, get a lead right. right out of the gate, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Before we go, I just want a quick thought from you on each of the other three series. You've got the Phillies, you've got the Cardinals in the other National League series. So, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I think the Cardinals, the same way that the Mets may be kind of showing their hand about how they want to go, the idea that uh, they're starting Quintana in game one. I've heard one of the reporters describe the Cardinals' approach as be prepared for piggyback games. Um, you know, the Flaherty injuries has hamstrung them all year. It obviously hasn't limited them. They're in the playoffs, but I'm a li- I'm, I'm concerned about the, the Cardinals pitching. Uh, and it's so strange. You know, the Phillies didn't exactly burst through the door uh, in September. They played really good at the end and, and got a big win against the Houston team. And, and we've seen Wheeler and Nola look great. This sort of perception versus per- perhaps reality like they're good and, and they seem like they're hot and the Phillies have those two studs at the top and, and Schwarber's, you know, the leader in the national league and homers. And there's a lot of really good things about them, but gosh, consistently the, the Cardinals, you know, they, they, they tend to catch the baseball. They have two MVP candidates on the corners. They got a power guy out of the bullpen at the back end and, and maybe piggybacking is the way to go. I, that, that's a close series. I, I lean to the Phillies. Uh, but it's very, very close to me. Yeah, and I would say, just haven't been around a lot of players through the years, just as you have, that when you have a situation where, you know, the, Adam Wainwright's been the guy all year, right? He's generally, yeah. with Flaherty out, he's he's led that staff. Um, I I would like to know, if you gave truth serum to players, how they perceive that decision to start Quintana over yeah. Wainwright. I know Adam didn't finish well last six starts, 44 hits in 28 and two-thirds innings. Uh, seven two two ERA, but he's been their guy, and so to shift yeah. like this at the, at the postseason is an interesting decision, and is certainly fraught with risk, especially if you lose uh, with perception of the clubhouse. All right, the Mariners against the Jays. Yeah, I you know uh, I love Julio Rodriguez. I, you know I, I got into kind of a Twitter conversation with Mariners fans when I said on baseball tonight they they don't hit the ball over the wall they do they do hit it over the wall but but so do every other team more so than than the Mariners do here and the Blue Jays at home um I think I think as far as stadiums go in this first round that will be the loudest that will be the most uh difficult place to go and I think when you look at home field advantage being taken away from the team that has to go on the road, there's no team that that I think suffers more from having no home games than Seattle because I think that environment is so good and so electric and so influential on the way that the Mariners play to have to go to Rogers Center and deal with the Toronto Blue Jays for three straight games and having Alec Manoa on the mound in game one makes it really hard for Seattle. Um, you know, the, the, the new format buster, and, and you know this, but the two teams that I think are affected mostly because of it, the fact that the Mets have to play in a wild card 
affects that team more than any other team because of the age age of the pitching. And the idea that one team has all three games at home, I think, affects the Mariners more than any other team that's in in the wild card round. Yep. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, of course, uh, the first series that uh, will open up the, the playoffs will be the Guardians against the Tampa Bay Rays. What do you got? Yeah, they're, they're the same team. I, I, I guess I would be more concerned about McClanahan just because of the way he's pitched. Um, and, again, you know, Cleveland's at home. Frank Cohn has done this a lot. They'll both put the ball in play. It may come down to the team that, that hopefully uh, avoids it, but the team that makes the mistake, uh, it's very close. I think the Guardians have been more consistently good. And and the Glass now thing, if look again, if he was there all year and we're we're, we're playing, you know, we're playing in the rear view again, uh, it's a difference maker. He he's gonna start, I believe, game two. That's maybe four innings. Um, but both these teams are patient. They don't strike out a lot. Uh, it, it's going to require a lot to me from from the Rays. So I would lean towards the Guardians in this series. All right. All right, Rabbi. Uh, I will see you at the, at the ballpark uh, in just a few hours. Looking forward to it. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. And Hembo, of course, is Paul Embikid. He's a researcher at ESPN. He's also the head honcho of the show Get Up. And he is now the father of two baby girls. He returns to the podcast. Hembo, how you doing? How are they doing? (laughs) Buster, I can count the amount of time that I have slept since the last time we spoke in minutes and not hours. So, I mean, I guess that's sort of par for the course. They, mercifully and most importantly, are doing great. 
everyone's healthy, everyone's putting on weight. Those little girls came about a month early. So they're only supposed to be like a week old now, but they're a month and a week old now. And so because they're doing so great, my lovely wife permitted me, Buster, to take my first vacation. Here's what I mean by that. I am sitting in a hotel room in Cleveland uh, preparing to do the talent stats role with Boog Shambi and Doug Glanville from the broadcast booth for the Rays Guardian series. So this is where my life is at. I consider a work trip, a vacation, now that I have two girls back at home. My parents are there helping out my wife this weekend, and she set me free. I am right now looking at the stadium from my hotel room. It is an awfully cool thing to be here, but obviously my, uh, <laughs> my primary thoughts are back at the ranch with those two little screaming girls, uh, I'm sure, all night long without me. Okay, I've got some advice on that, but first I, mm-hmm. I just want to, uh, you know, I think you and I may have had this conversation, but I want to I tell you this, and I've told it to maybe 100,000 baseball players you know, after being a father myself of two, the greatest moment that I have had as a father, it's, it's hard to talk about without getting emotional, was when my kids were about that age, your kids are now five, six weeks old, and you go in in the morning uh, when they're first waking up and you uh, lean over the side of the crib and they give you the biggest, happiest smile of recognition, which is just pure <laughs> love. Because, of course, as you know, when they're little, they don't really – their eyesight's not not that good. It's not developed. Uh, but there comes a time about four to six weeks when you go in and they see your face and they just light up. And it's like, Dad, what's going on? <laughs> Have you had that yet? No. They're so early. So what we've been told is that they can hardly – right now they can only probably manage to see a, a few inches. So there's definitely no – there's definitely no recognition. There's definitely not much there. I, I can even put, we can even go nose to nose and they can't really tell what's going on. But I greatly await and into, anticipate the day that you just described because it sounds like all these years later, you still remember that exact moment when it happened and what it felt like. Oh my God. <laughs> it, you, know, <laughs> you, you, you love your friends, you love your family, uh, your spouse, but there's nothing like that moment it, for me. Uh, it, it's just, it's unbelievable. And that's what, what, what's ahead of you. I would say never tell your wife when you're away from the house that it's a vacation, never use that word. <laughs> I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're not justified because it is, you do get tired, but as someone who was on the road a lot, uh, when my kids were little, that is not something you should ever say. Okay. Don't ever I, I take appreciate that it. word and mm-hmm. bury it and, and never utter it or think it again. I like it, man. We're going to have to do like a weekly, monthly uh, parental advice column for Buster only every time I come on the podcast now. And I think <laughs> I'm going to need every bit of it. That's for sure. Oh, there you go. All right. So let's go through all the series. I want a prediction from you. Uh, and then you can tell me why. Uh, we'll go series by series. The first series that starts today is the one that you're actually going to watch, Rays Guardians. What do you got? I would describe this as a phone booth series, a rock fight. If you're one who likes to gamble on such things, I would pound the under. I don't think we're going to see many runs scored in this series. There are two reasons why I favor Cleveland in this series, Buster. The first is because Tampa's lineup just does not handle premium velocity, which is so important in the playoffs. Against 95-plus during the regular season, the Rays batted 227 as a team. They slugged 330 as a team against those pitches. Both of those figures ranked 27th in baseball. That could manifest in a big way against this Cleveland bullpen. And secondly, there is no more vital skill in baseball than one's ability to control the strike zone. Cleveland this year, Buster, owned a plus 268 
strikeout differential during the regular season. Only the Mets and the Astros were better. Give me the Guardians in this series. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. In fact, I, I'm going to pick the Guardians all the way through the next round. I think they're going to beat mm. the Yankees. I think the Yankees, uh, you know, bullpen is of such a, a mess right now in terms of its structure that I think Cleveland's going to have a bit of a run here in the postseason. Mariners, Blue Jays. Uh, theoretically, Toronto's big advantage in this series is that they have more firepower offensively. But I'm not sure it's going to play out that way. Since the trade deadline, the Mariners have actually outscored the Blue Jays. They rank sixth in the league in run scoring. They rank seventh in run prevention during that time. But the reason I favor Seattle in this series is because I expect them to win the home run battle. Seattle is plus 30 there since the trade deadline. That's the best mark in the American League. And here's why that matters so much. Teams are 156 and 26. That's a win percentage of 857 in the postseason when out homering their opponent since 2016. Give me Seattle. So if, if I told you that Julio Rodriguez was affected by his back issue, what say you in terms of that advantage? Um, um, an absolute factor for sure. I think the combination, though, of my confidence in the Mariners pitching as a whole combined with their improvements, even without uh, Julio Rodriguez, who has missed some time in their lineup over the last couple months, I still favor them. This is the series I would describe most as a coin flip in doing my research. Yeah, I got the Blue Jays, so we disagree there. Uh, Phillies and Cardinals, your Phillies, and and I know you well enough to know that you can take your bias out of it and you just look at the numbers. What do you got? Oh, Buster, the Phillies are going to beat the Cardinals, and here's why. They will have the starting pitching advantage in all three potential games this series. They might be the only team in this round that can say that. Let's live in a world here, Buster, in which I'm describing a pitcher that threw 203 innings this season across 35 starts. That pitcher had a 3.15 ERA, a 2.14 to 50 strikeout to walk rate, and allowed only 18 home runs across that time. What I just described is someone who's going to get down ballot Cy Young votes at the very minimum. Buster, the numbers that I just put forth are the combined stats for Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, and Ranger Suarez since the All-Star break combined. And their output as a trio has been outstanding. And while the Phillies bullpen has definitely been compromised this season, the combination of Zach Eflin, Alvarado and Bailey Falter, you're not going to need to use 10 pitchers to win a three-game series. You're going to need, need to use six or seven. In a best of five, I would favor the Cardinals. But in a best of three, I favor the Phillies. The Phillies are built for the three-game series. I think the Phillies upset the Cardinals in this series, and I view that objectively. Of course, I'm rooting for the Phillies, but I think there's a real path for them to upset St. Louis. I picked the Cardinals, but I completely see what you're talking about. Uh, I am surprised that Adam Wainwright is not locked into a start in this series. What about you? Mm, me too. I was stunned uh, by that development. I mean, I guess you understand why. He's not going to miss a lot of bats. But the veteran presence on the mound with all that championship equity and experience against the Phillies lineup that has not been there, that you expect to probably uh, be a little bit jumpy, I could easily uh, see him going out there and shoving across seven innings. That really surprised me, and I bet it surprised a lot of Cardinals fans as well. Yeah, and I have not talked to Ali Marmol about that decision, but my instinct was that's one of those decisions that in the clubhouse people, players don't want change in the postseason. They don't want to see the people who run the team start to change things. Right. Adam mm-hmm. Wainwright has kind of been the guy. And all of a sudden, like Jose Quintana is promoted to be the number one. I, I, I don't get that. Uh, Padres, Mets. I think rumors of the Mets demise have been greatly exaggerated. They led the NL East by as many as 10 and a half games. We know that and they blew it. But <laughs> from that point on, June 1st, which is when they held their biggest lead, 
The Mets went 67 and 44, Buster. That's a 97 win pace. It just so happens that the Braves played at a 112 win pace to capture the division. So they didn't exactly blow it. The Braves pillaged the thing. But my confidence in the Mets is, at least in part, built upon my lack of confidence in San Diego. And here's why. Uh, Against the 11 other teams in the playoff field, the Padres went 20 and 33. That was the worst record of any team that made it. They owned a minus 65 run differential. That was the worst among any team that made it. In fact, if I were to power rank every team in the tournament, one through 12, San Diego for me would be 12. Give me the Mets. Okay. I would say this. I, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm talking with uh, San Diego sources. They feel like Juan Soto has is, is turned the corner. Uh, and you, Darvish, he seems to be in a different place in terms of his comfort level. Those, for me, are two big X factors. The other one, too, is that they have figured out in San Diego that Josh Hader at this stage in his career, he needs rest. And when he's rested, mm-hmm. he's really great. What do you think? Buster, I think there, there is a you, – you, you hit on an excellent point. There is a massive, massive advantage for bullpens when coming off of rest. This is something that you and I have tracked a lot over the last uh, several years. But I went back and looked here over the last few years in the postseason. Um, on, gaze, on, on essentially the second game of, of back-to-backs, in this case, it'll be games two and three. So here are the numbers, uh, bullpen numbers, by days of rest in the postseason last year. Without any rest, bullpens posted a 4.63 ERA. On one day, a 3.65, and on two plus days, 2.19. Think about that. So across baseball on Friday, you're going to see bullpens shove. Across games on Saturday, you're going to see bullpens give it up. And once we get to game three, you're going to see bullpens open the floodgates. If if last year or recent seasons are any indication, the teams with the deep bullpens that are playing on Sunday are going to be the teams that advance to the next round. Yeah, please send me those numbers. Uh, I will uh, make a case to get those in, as well as the numbers of the Padres uh, against teams that are in the postseason. All right, Hembo, enjoy the series. Enjoy your, let's call it a a respite, okay? Don't ever (laughs) use the word vacation again. Fair enough. Later, Dad. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Mitchell is up first at Tigers of Detroit. He writes in, what is the biggest advantage Cleveland has over Tampa Bay? I think they are pretty even uh, lineup-wise and starting pitching-wise. Will Cleveland BP be the factor? Talking about the bullpen, uh, Mitchell, I think you read the article that I was writing yesterday before it was actually published. That's exactly what I wrote. Uh, the, the key for the Guardians is to get the game into the hands of their bullpen because that would be seem to be a pretty good advantage for them. John Zangarly, sorry, John, if I botched your name. John writes in, when the Angels get a new owner, what will be the best way for them to get competitive? Look, I, it's so funny. I was watching uh, an analyst the other day, and he mentioned, uh, yeah, it's going to be left in the hands of the uh, new owner to just trade Otani. No. If you're the new owner coming in, it's the exact same situation as Juan Soto. You basically want to get uh, – you want to tell Artie Moreno, look, if he's going to be traded, it's going to be on your watch. But I would advise the incoming owner, pay Otani whatever he's looking for because he's going to be worth it. And you can differentiate yourself from the previous ownership by stepping up and paying Otani, and then you build around Otani and Mike Trout. That's a pretty good core to go with. Andrew DeSalvo at DeSalvotion writes, in an honor of Todd Radom in the Phantom franchises, do you think in 20 years we will look back at the Montreal Rays? Are they a Phantom franchise, or will they be a real squadron? 
No, I think that's a great point. You know, maybe I'll I'll reach out to Todd and say, hey, let's talk about the Montreal Rays as a as a bonus <laughs> entrant as we go down the stretch. Uh, they will not be a real squadron. There was no way this was ever going to work. The Player Association never would have agreed to have a franchise play their home games in two different cities consistently during a year. That would be very wacky. Michael W. Conley uh, writes in Buster, how could you make a list of the most famous home runs and leave out Bobby Thompson's shot heard round the world? Buster, how could you? Yeah, I'm an idiot. Okay, that was one that I regretted immediately after the show was <laughs> over. I'm like, God, I can't believe I didn't mention that one. And then Carlton Fisk's home run in the two- 1976 World Series. Like, I was 11 years old. I watched it live. You know, I imitated the wave that he did. It, it was the first time they had a camera in the outfield wall. It was a great reaction shot. Maybe the, you know, the initial, the first great reaction shot in sports television. I'm a complete idiot. There's no getting around it. Buster, I don't think you're an idiot. Michael Preston at McP1979 writes in, what is your biggest surprise of the regular season? Judges 62, Orioles over 500, Mariners breaking the playoff drought, or something else? Yeah, it would be the Orioles over 500. No doubt about it. Uh, You know, before the season started, I picked Mike Trout to be the guy to get 60 homers. So I didn't think that that was impossible. I didn't think the Mariners making the playoffs was impossible. I think, in fact, I I may have picked them. I can't remember my original picks, but you knew they were going to be right on the cusp. But the idea that the Orioles would win uh, 62 or, excuse me, 21 more games than they're over under, unthinkable to me. And so that's what I've been saying. What a great credit to Brandon Hyde, the players on that team, for making that work, Taylor. Congratulations. Very exciting. Not even Michael Elias' spreadsheets predicted that. So uh, definitely a huge surprise. Last one for today, spreadsheets and spreadsheets. Our friend Kayaking Smith writes in, <laughs> we saw the Dodgers clinch in Phoenix, the Cardinals in Milwaukee, and uh, you know a couple nights ago, the Braves in Miami. Who pays to clean that visitor's locker room? We're talking carpet cleaners or replacing carpets, ceilings. Yeah, it's, it's a mess in there. Who does that? Yeah, so it, it's the it's the bill goes to the the visiting clubhouse, you know, as part of their expenses. But I must say, it's so funny you mentioned this because I was watching some of the celebrations, and I know some of the guys who run the visiting clubhouses, and and I just cringe for them at times. Oof. Like you just imagine in some of these places, it's like a second division team. They've been out of contention for weeks. They just want their season to end, like uh, you know, just be over with. And instead, it's like, oh, my God, we got to clean up this massive mess from these guys celebrating. And I always feel for those guys. You know, it's it really is funny that you what a great question. Champagne soaked cigar ashes, probably a little tricky to get out of the carpet, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. That's it for today. But. You know, first, before we go, we heard from Sarah Langs at the top of the show. Taylor, uh, you know, what uh, when you when you you know, you uh, you heard Sarah and, and what was your response? I mean, I, I just love her. You know, I'm just plunging ahead. I'm living life as normal, you know, especially if you've been around, you know, if you have a loved one who's gone through, you know, tough medical times like this, like that's it's it's just so inspiring to, to see someone, you know, just just try and live their life as normal. And it's it's a beautiful thing. And I'm, uh, you know, we're in her corner over here at the Baseball Tonight podcast. Sarah? Yeah, definitely. We are so in her corner. And she's such a light. Anytime she logs on, like, you can just feel her energy and how kind she is. And she's so inspirational with how much she loves baseball. Yep. Mandy Bell on Twitter, I think, said it best. She had a tweet that said, Sarah's right about everything. But one thing she's wrong about 
You know her on Twitter by the best baseball girl. And while baseball is certainly up there, it's not the best. Sarah is the best. Yep. All right. Uh, my thanks today to Sarah Langs, to Carl Ravitch, to Sarah, uh, to, to Taylor, to Hembo. Have a great day, everybody. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the baseball. Uh, thanks for listening today. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.